and welcome to Red Hacks, your favorite show about being a left-wing journalist in a neoliberal world. I am Joanna Romero, and you can follow me on all the socials at Joanna Romero UK. This is the fifth and last episode of the second season of Red Hacks, but you can and should continue listening to all the other episodes of our host, Politics Theory Other, a podcast by Tribune Radio. Politics Theory Other is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, so be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share the good word about our shows with your friends and followers. For this episode, I once again resorted to the magic of technology, calling my guest in all the way from Scotland. He is the economics editor at Open Democracy and a fellow at the Institute for Innovation and Public Purpose at the University College London. You might have also seen him commenting on all things housing, income distribution, and systemic change in The Guardian, Sky News, and Tribune magazine. Laura McFarlane, welcome on Red Hacks. Thank you for having me. So I always like to start Red Hacks with that kind of introductory conversation over how you got into journalism in the first place and quite precisely in your case into economics journalism. I know you worked at NEF, the New Economics Foundation, before you were at Open Democracy. So tell me your your journey into journalism. How did you land here? Yeah, I mean, I never really made a conscious decision to get into journalism as such or, or the media. It was kind of an accident that happened by circumstance. As as you said, my background is in economics. Historically, my kind of home has, has been more in think tanks and, and academia. And I still have kind of one foot in that, in that world. Although I've always been someone who's been very critical of economics as a discipline and the profession, at least as it exists in the kind of mainstream in the mainstream form. Uh, so I ended up uh, getting into the, into the media world really, as I say, by accident. I think it was back in 2016 or 17. I was leaving the New Economics Foundation. I was looking for other opportunities and, and basically an opportunity came along at uh, Open Democracy to basically sort of run a project that was housed within Open Democracy at the time, which was called New Thinking for the British Economy. And that was really about trying to bring together, have a bit of a, a, a sort of a debate discussion, but bring together different voices about, you know, how the econo- how our economic system needs to, to change to meet the kind of key challenges of the 21st century. And so I became the editor of that project and started commissioning and editing and, and writing my own pieces. And then one thing led to another over, over time and we managed to kind of scale that up, get some, you know, get some additional funding in and, and eventually managed to kind of launch a kind of full economics section at Open Democracy, which I now run and oversee along with uh, a few other colleagues. And I've been doing that for the, for the past few years. So it's kind of, a, as I say, kind of an accident, but it's something which, yeah, I've kind of, I think I've kind of adapted to over the past few years. And I'm still very much getting used to it. You know, it still feels strange if people call me you know, or if I'm referred to as a journalist. As I say, it's not something I'm used to. That's really funny because I, I now am wondering how do you then try to set that border, right, between research, quasi-academia, in this case, working for a think tank, and then researching journalistically, and, and even on an individual basis, sort of, do you, do you ever feel like you're having to set, having to put different hats on at different times, or whether the two naturally bond together, end up working together, and in fact, perhaps, now thinking a bit abstractly, besides ourselves, whether you feel that most journalists should think like researchers as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and on, on one hand, I think that they're quite, I do wear different hats, and in some senses, they can be quite complementary. On the other hand, it is important, I think, that particularly when you're in the journalism space, that, that you are sort of applying some 
journalistic practice and and rigor and making sure that you are have that dividing line between that and the rest of your work. I would say though that that overall, when I say it's kind of complementary, I mean I do think that certainly the economics profession broadly, and by that I include academia, think tanks, and indeed the economics media and, and journalism space. It, it is it is a space which I think you know has been to some extent, at least partly. I would argue, responsible for the neoliberal age that we've been living under for, for a number of decades now. And while that is kind of starting to change a little bit, at least in terms of academia and think tank stuff, where you have, you know, quite a bit of, you know, soul searching that's been done in the economics profession after the financial crisis, you have, you know, the you know environmental breakdown is causing, you know, a, a, a sort of recognition the ideas and, and policies of the past four decades will need to change. And we have this kind of flourishing intellectual ecosystem in terms of think tanks and civil society recently. When it comes to the sort of media landscape, that that hasn't happened, I don't think, to anywhere near the same extent. And, and you know, despite that, you know, media plays such a key role in sort of reinforcing economic ideas and narratives and disseminating, you know, or deciding which ideas do get disseminated and reinforced and, and which don't. And so, you know, I do think that the the economics sort of media landscape is is key if we're going to overcome some of these challenges. And while there has been, I think, you know, a lot of strides made in, you know, new media and, you know, different types of online journalism in recent years, and particularly in like political journalism, I think that it's been less the case that that's happened in 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 the, in the economic space. And so I do sort of see this is something that I think is important and, and you know, not just open boxy, but, but generally, I think, you know, across the world, I think it's something that, that we're going to need to see more of going forward, you know, if we're going to, as I say, sort of change our economic system. You already touched upon quite a few points that, that I wanted to ask you about, but I, I am really curious to see you unpack those a bit further, particularly because if we think of, you know, we're recording this show towards the tail end of, of 2020, the year that has been marked by, by a pandemic. You know, COVID-19 is often considered the sort of fourth major crisis hitting Western economies in the 21st century alone. If we think of the others as the dot-com bubble back in the early 2000s and then the crash, obviously, in 2008, and then the subsequent sovereign debt in Europe in the early 2010s and, and, you know, Greece and Portugal and Spain and so on. And now we have COVID. Before we look into the effects of all these crises into journalism now, certainly the COVID-19 crisis, how would you, as you know, someone who works in the field, perceive the mainstream economics journalism or economic sections to have covered these consequent crises and how it, as, as you've already pointed towards, either enabled for certain governmental policies or certainly did not scrutinize some of these policies as much as it might have and should have, perhaps even with the intent of preventing the continuation of these crises, short, obviously, of, you know, ending capitalism at large. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because, you know, we can we can go, you know, backwards in time. So if we, if we sort of rewind even before the financial crisis, you know, I think that the even the, even the sort of birth of, of the neoliberal project or, or the attempt to, to sort of, the project to basically you know, advanced neoliberalism in the UK and beyond, you know, there was a sustained sort of media outreach effort by its proponents back then. And there are people who were very prominent in the media, people like Samuel Samuel Britton and Nigel Lawson and others, in kind of promoting this 
this sort of ideology, you know, not just in politics and, and academia, but as I say, also in the media. And I think that that very much continued through. And I do think that, that even today, although I say that I think it has started to change slightly, that, you know, in recent decades, we have had a media landscape that has been very wedded to economic orthodoxy. And there's a number of reasons for that. Obviously, there is there is just a sort of the dominant, almost hegemony of sort of neoliberal ideas, which has contributed to that. There's also just the reality of the business model, you know, underpinning the financial and economics press, which is, you know, they are businesses, um, you know, and they are hostile to, you know, potentially progressive ideas that, that seek to sort of challenge, you know, capitalism as as it exists. And so... So I do think that the, the media landscape broadly has been, uh, you know, has been very wedded to orthodox economic ideas and um, hostile to some extent to new ones. Now, I think that has sort of changed. As I said, I think that post-2008, there was obviously some, a lot of debate in the economics profession about you know, monetary policy, banking and finance. And you would read about that in the pages of the Financial Times, for example. You know, you would have things about Climate change, although it would still be very much seen as a kind of a separate problem to the fundamentals of our economic system. And then around COVID, obviously, we've had big radical interventions and you will see discussion around that. But I think broadly, the coverage of the economy that you find in the in the mainstream media, by and large, I think generally sort of focuses on very narrow things like business announcements, like, you know, the, the performance of the stock market, like incremental policy debates or things like, you know, this kind of standard government metrics around, you know, unemployment and, and GDP announcements, et cetera, rather than seeing the economy for what it is, which is fundamentally at the core of key massive challenges that we face in the 21st century, like, you know, environmental breakdown, like, you know, rising inequality, et cetera. When you hear, when you see things like climate change discussed and in the economics press, I think it's still seen as this sort of separate thing over there, rather than something that's fundamentally being driven by our economic system if that makes sense but even that doesn't very often to me certainly feels like a progression and almost encroachment of the neoliberal logic into the space of journalism because i always think that up until around the 90s and depending on the publication even after that most newspapers had a section called industrial and that wasn't necessarily about stocks and shares as you've just put it to put it a bit crudely but 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 very illustratively but it talked about industrial struggles you know from strikes to pay and and wage discrepancies and, and so on and so forth and in britain in particular it's very clear how with thatcherism with the suppression of organized voices you then also see sort of withering away of the importance of the industrial pages to its point of disappearance in most publications. And I, I think now, other than the Morning Star, obviously, if there is any editor in chief of a publication out there that still has an industrial section, please give me a shout out on social media afterwards. But I think that other than the Morning Star, uh, no other paper has an industrial section does this distinction between economics, as you've just described, this kind of almost... Hmm, how can I put the module, divorced of real life, you know, that is something abstract that the banks, this, you know, a meta institution allegedly have to deal with, or alternatively, the state by which we mean, I mean, governments. And otherwise, if it's anything that has to do with, you know, your average person's daily lives, it's dealt within the society section, right? You who have observed this now also, again, from, from your own perspective and have 
I would suggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, but try to bridge this false gap that has been created. How do you then feel it is the responsibility of journalists within the left, particularly journalists who work in the space of economics, even within its broader definition, right? Like journalists who cover things like the gender wage gap or housing, which is a topic that you've done a lot over and and I've covered quite a bit myself. How do you feel they can tackle this false binary between the things that concern the state, state policy, state economics, and the individual and the things that then actually literally affect our lives? Bearing in mind, of course, that COVID has sort of made do with a lot of that distinction over the last couple of months. I think you're absolutely right that the way that the economy is is sort of being covered in media has to some extent mirrored that depoliticization of economics, which has absolutely happened in the sort of academic space as well. You have, you know, economics was originally born originally from moral philosophy and then into political economy, which were very, very much recognizing the sort of political nature of economics and, and the fundamentally the question of who gets what and why, which is kind of what I think about economics, you know, that discussion is inherently political and it inherently therefore requires an analysis of power and a willing to challenge or, you know, look at where power lies in society. And that's something which I think just basically at least in recent decades, hasn't really featured in, in economic journalism you know, at all. It's been sort of sanitized of that. And, and indeed, that is, you know, as I say, to some extent, a mirror of what's, what you've seen in, in the mainstream economics profession, where you'll get economists who will claim, many economists claim that what they're doing, you know, they're not, it's not political, they're more like scientists, which I think is just completely wrong. And so in terms of, you know, what, what can we do about that? I think that it comes down to a number of things. I mean, firstly, what is economics? So, so as I say, rather than having a very narrow view of what economics is, recognizing that, you know, the economy is not some sort of abstract thing that operates according to, you know, some kind of laws of physics. It is a inherently social system and it's embedded in our wider, you know, natural environment. And there, there are lots of things that I think we should be talking about in the debate about the economy, which you don't often see in the pages of the economics and financial press. The second thing I think is who is doing this, you know, and I think this is a massive problem. And obviously I say this as a, you know, a, a white guy, but economics, the, the economics profession generally is massively non-diverse. I mean, lots of studies have been done about this, showing just how, you know, how, how it is dominated by basically, you know, a lot of old, older white men from privileged backgrounds. And that, that then blinkers the way that economics is done. And so we see that as well, I think, in economics journalism, the voices that, you know, the people who are, who are actually doing it come from a very, very narrow background. And so I think we need to be diversifying the kind of voices who are actually doing economics uh, journalism. So you have a wide range of different perspectives as well. And then the other thing I think that it, it does, again, coming back to this issue of, of power. And, you know, I think that, you know, we need to have a willingness to, rather than just sort of report on what the latest economic statistics are or, you know, report on what's happening in financial markets, but I have willingness to actually investigate properly and challenge where power lies in our economy and, and both the institutions and the people within them. And that's obviously something that across the board in, in journalism generally, you know, we've seen, I think, a sort of deterioration in the quality of investigative 
uh, reporting, you know, in mainstream outlets. And this is it's partly, obviously, it's difficult to separate this from the decline of, obviously, print newspapers and the business model and the impact of Google and Facebook, etc. But I think having that sort of willingness to actually challenge power and hold power to account in economics journalism rather than just sort of be in awe of, you know, how, how sort of great, you know, financial markets are or, oh, look at how much GDP has changed, I think is, is something that is, you know, is really important, something we should be trying to nurture you know, for the longer term. I, I just find it fascinating because uh, as you're saying this, and I, I obviously totally agree, but also I'm thinking of how open democracy has rightly been revered for focusing on this investigative side of journalism, including in the economics area, having exposed a series of wrongdoings by members of the British establishment in the last year alone. Quite a few incredible pieces you've done, not least a fascinating one on, on the sort of power and money behind Brexit. But um but, you know, ultimately, one could argue all of it done on a sort of shoestring budget, right? So what I'm trying to ask you is, you know, I don't think there are dark forces here at work, but there must be something that goes beyond the question of, of just resources and goes into the question of editorial line and, and where you place your the primacy of, of, your, of your journalism. Where do you focus on? Do you focus on just sort of sharing news within the perspective of the day or do you focus on questioning you know this constant critical thinking so yeah i was wondering whether at times you you know basically look at, at your colleagues elsewhere and feel incredibly frustrated and how do you explain that to yourself and by that explanation how would you explain to everyone else who listens to red hacks yeah it's a very good question and um, i mean one thing i should also say which i think is quite interesting just to note, note first is that even among people on the left, you know, if you ask them, you know, where do you get your sort of news on what's happening in the global economy, or particularly I'm talking here about a, a more international perspective rather than domestic stuff. Often, and I, I include myself here, people will say the Financial Times, The Economist, often places like that, as well as the BBC and, 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 and others. But And I find that interesting, even though the Financial Times and particularly The Economist are are, are not by no means have a sort of a left-wing editorial perspective. You know, the, the Economist is overtly, you know, has a classical liberal ideology. But nonetheless, they are they are some of the only there are some of the only outlets that they you know they do they do cover global events. Obviously, they put their ideological lens on it, and they do cover issues that perhaps don't get covered elsewhere. And I think that that's something that we can learn from in doing so. On the other hand, I, I completely agree that I think that you know there has been. You know, across across the board, I think that you know, I, th I think the idea for me, I, I I always struggle, as I say, having someone not coming from a journalism background. You encounter this idea of among journalists and stuff like that as kind of objective truth tellers, and you know, they're there to have this objective, you know, to to tell the objective truth, and that they're not being political. And I always struggle with that because I don't think it's possible to be objective at all in journalism. Because like you say, what you choose to cover, you know, you can't cover everything. And what you choose to cover is inherently a, a subjective choice that's that's informed by all kinds of biases. Some might be explicit biases, some might be implicit biases, ideological biases, etc. They might be influenced by, as I said, economic incentives around, you know, what your business model is or who your owner is and things like that. And, you know, I think the reality of the, the, the media landscape not just here, but around the world, is that it is it is still, by and large, governed by the profit motives and 
governed in terms of, you know, dependent on advertising or, you know, proprietors who are, you know, have their own agenda and things like that. And so I think that you can't separate the the content of what it, what appears in the media from the sort of broader political economy of that. And obviously that's a massive challenge for those of us on the left who are in journalism, because if you are going to, if we are going to build an alternative media that does all the things that we think the media should be doing, then obviously you're, you're right. You know, that takes resources and particularly things like investigative journalism takes a lot of resources. And so how we can kind of scale up and fund independent media is obviously a challenge that's vast for, for everyone involved in the media. But I think it's particularly challenging in the, in the sort of economic journalism space. If we look back at what you had just said before, before we, we talk about the things we need to challenge within our own practices as, as left-wing journalists, you, you were commenting on how, you know, there's, there's still this, this profit motive, this logic that ends up underpinning, for the sake of the argument here, I'm just call it, going to call it mainstream media analysis. How do you feel that, you know, COVID-19 will, in the pandemic, in the way in which it has affected and, and is still affecting our the way we work, the way we organize our lives, how do you think that is going to also affect the way in which mainstream economics journalism functions and obviously also how the left <laughs> looks at these things, perhaps uh, from, from, again, an economics journalism point of view? Because it, it, it's... It, For me, and I'm not an economics journalist, but it still strikes me that a lot of the sort of usual logic of, again, growth, uh, growth in GDP, profitability, if it was already feeling increasingly vacuous when confronted with things like climate change and and the need to, to slow down, now it seems even more blatantly so. How do you see sort of like, I mean, are, are they going to, well, they haven't so far gone into some sort of like crisis mode of, of uh, you know, identity crisis that is. But how do you see mainstream economics journalism dealing with the challenges of COVID-19 and the challenges that it, COVID-19 is, is posing on governments as well, of course, not just on journalism itself? Yeah, I think this is really interesting because even, so if we, if we start from just before COVID, I think it was already definitely the case that, as I already mentioned, that the sort of dominant economic ideas and narratives and policies that had been with us for, you know, 40 plus years was already facing a massive crisis of legitimacy. And, you know, through a whole number of things, obviously the legacy of the financial crisis, stagnant living standards, very high inequality, environmental breakdown, obviously another key one. And what we had started to see, which I think was an interesting development, was, for example, the FT, I think it was maybe at the very start of this year or the very end of last year, kind of had this big kind of rebrand saying that capitalism needs a reset. They had a big front page splash. They said, I think they called it like the new normal or something, sort of recognizing that, oh, you know, capitalism needs to change and, and all the rest of it. And then I think what the what COVID-19 does is, is, is basically said, you know, if neoliberalism was already on life support, I think that it sort of in many ways delivered the kind of final blow because many of the like you say, many of the sort of key assumptions or, or, or key sort of foundations of how you would run an economy under neoliberalism have been sort of fundamentally shown to be very wrong or in cases dangerous, as we've seen the things like outsourcing and things like that, you know, absolutely decimating our manufacturing capacity to produce things like as basic as PPE, etc. So so I do think that, that it has, you know, poses, COVID-19 poses a massive, massive challenge and the question is, you know, how is this going to be responded to in the in the media? And and I think there is a there's a debate playing out here, and it's this is playing out not just in, in the media, it's also going to play out politically between 
those who kind of say, you know, wow, COVID, this is, you know, a big challenge, but now, you know, we there's a vaccine on the horizon, we can get back to normal. Between between that and between those who say, well, actually, you know, returning, you know, back to sort of business as usual is is a non-starter. You know, that, that's not some kind of neutral act. That is sort of a decision to accelerate the, you know, social, economic, and environmental crises that were very, very much spiraling out of control before COVID. And so, I do think this is a this is obviously something that's, you know, a very live issue. But I do think what COVID has also shown, which I think is worth highlighting, is actually when there's the political will to do it, something you can actually radically reorganize your economy quite quickly if there's a political will to do it as we saw with governments you know did that with things like the furlough scheme and the various other series of packages that the government introduced following that and so yeah and and the other thing i think to highlight specific which is specifically relevant to the media the the economics journalism aspect is after the financial crisis we saw something quite strange happen, which was the narrative that I think was kind of prevalent for a short period of time, which was the banking crisis was caused by reckless, greedy bankers, and you know they need to you know they need to be reined in, they need to be regulated, they need to be clamped down on. There was a kind of sleight of hand took place in the media very shortly after that, obviously working you know in tandem with the, the Conservative government that sort of switched that narrative on its head that said actually this crisis was caused by reckless government spending by the Labour government and the answer is actually we need to rein in government spending. And so there's this kind of rewriting of history that took place, yes, by the Tory government but and by the coalition government, but also that was heavily reinforced in the media. And so I think what's going to be interesting, and that obviously legitimised and, and, you know, a lot of the, you know, the decade of austerity that was to follow. And, and so what I think will be interesting here is we're very much still in this sort of crisis period with COVID-19 and things are very fluid, they change every day. I think there will be, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what happens, you know, next year in terms of in the media, you know, how is the narrative going to be? Is there going to be a rewriting of history? What are the stories that are going to be told about what COVID means for, you know, capitalism and the future of it or lack thereof? So in this case, what is really, you know, tickling you as an economics journalist at the moment? What are you working on? What are you keeping an eye out for in terms of development? And so being, you know, if, if there's a, a young rookie economics journalist or, or wanting to be one, aspiring one, what kind of themes and interesting paradigmatic shifts are you keeping an eye out for and, and would advise others to be looking out for too? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think that there are lots of, I mean, you know, in some senses, obviously, 2020 has been, you know, a year that many of us would like to forget. On the other hand, it's been, you know, it's just been so, there's been so much happened that I think that we should sort of pause to reflect on and, you know, and think about. So not just obviously COVID-19 pandemic, for example, but one area which I think, you know, I'd love to read read more on is obviously with this year we've had the obviously massive Black Lives Matter protests, you know, not, not just in the US but around the world, etc. And, you know, again, I think that within the sort of economic space, questions of, you know, of, of race, of empire, colonialism, these kind of questions aren't discussed that much at all in terms of uh, certainly as far as the sort of mainstream goes, both, as I say, both in academia and in, in in the journalism space. And so I think that when I talk about we need to expand what we mean when we talk about the economy, 
including, you know, all of these questions, like I say, about race, racial injustice, about the legacy today of colonialism in terms of how that actually has underpinned the sort of distribution of power and wealth today and how that's still affecting, you know, vastly unequal outcomes in terms of race, in terms of all different types of socioeconomic characteristics, I think is an area which, you know, there needs to be more of in, in, in the journalism space. And so that's something which, you know, we've talked about, you know, what what should we be taking on board from what's been happening and how can we sort of reflect that better in our coverage, you know, in, as far as our economic stuff goes to at open democracy. So that's one thing that's just like very, I say that because that's something that we've been talking about, talking about very recently. And so in that case, coming to one of my usual last questions, if not the last question, what are you reading at the moment? <laughs> what am I reading? I mean, a lot, a lot more time or maybe a lot less time. I don't know. COVID has affected people differently. Some people have told me that actually under lockdown, it's easier to read. Others have found it quite the opposite. So what are you reading if you're if you're being able to read? Yeah, I, I, I am, although it's um, it's kind of funny because it's a very it's a very kind of geeky stereotypical answer so the book i'm actually reading right now is it's actually there's a series by policy books which is called the case for and the one i'm reading just now is the it's by yorgos Callas and a few of his colleagues on the case for degrowth i'm telling i've always been a slightly i've always been slightly more skeptical of the degrowth narrative but this i think as far as the various things i've read on i think this is probably the best i've read so far in terms of the best sort of non-geeky thing when I say like non-hardcore economic stuff that I've read recently the best is probably The Three Body Problem which is by I think it's uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right but Lu Chixin it's a Chinese author it was originally written in Mandarin but it's a really excellent science fiction book that yeah I highly recommend and it's actually a trilogy which is the good thing for me under lockdown obviously you are, I am re reading more so I've read the first one and there's two more so I'm really looking forward to reading that Amazing. I mean, you're reminding me now of, um, of a book that I started quite a while ago, but I'm being very slow because unfortunately, uh, the pandemic and lockdowns have meant that I escape into literary fiction rather than nonfiction. But one of the ones that definitely marked my, my reading this year is uh, Kate Soper's Post-Growth Living. I don't know if you've had a chance to to look into that. Yeah, I'm I very interested in this idea of alternative hedonisms uh, myself. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen it. I haven't, I haven't got a copy actually, but I did, I did sort of mentally add that to the list, this sort of ever-growing list. But yeah, I suppose one, as, as I said, silver lining of um, of lockdown, given that social lives are generally cancelled unless they're on Zoom, is yeah, finding a lot more time to do reading. So yeah, I'm definitely going to try and get hold of that one. Laurie, thank you so much for joining me. This was really interesting, and uh, I think. It made me ask more questions, perhaps, that I that I originally had, which is always good, but also look at the future with uh, both inquisitive and uh, terrified <laughs> eyes, I guess. Thank you so much for coming. It was really great. Thanks for having me. I am John Romero, and this was Red Hacks, a show about being a left-wing journalist in a new liberal world, hosted by Politics Theory Other. If you like what you've heard, please don't forget to follow us, like us, share us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Paul Theory Other. In previous episodes, I've interviewed Novara Media founder Aaron Bastani, labor reporter and author Sarah Jaffe, and veteran journalist Paul Mason, as well as many other fascinating colleagues and comrades. So be sure to check out our previous episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, or whatever you get your usual podcast fix from. 
If you want to support Politics Theory Other, please consider becoming one of our patrons for as little as $3 a month, which is just over £2, at patreon.com forward slash Paul Theory Other. Other.